whatever you're wearing right now, I am informing you Mac Weldon is better. Anytime these people want me to endorse what they're selling, proudly do so. Because I tell you, I'm wearing their underwear right now and it feels like my private area is more well taken care of than ever before. And I mean that, this well-made underwear that I'm wearing. And it's held up for two years now as well. If you're a guy, you're going to want this stuff. If you're uh, not, but you have a guy in your life, you're going to want to hook them up. You go to MacWeldon.com, you get 20% off using the promo code STORIES. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. I'm telling you guys, I'm not lying. Really good stuff for you or the men in your life. Growing up, reporter Jonathan Hirsch's family was a little different. They followed a controversial spiritual leader named Franklin Jones. To Jonathan's parents, Franklin Jones was a god. But to people outside the group, he was a cult leader. Dear Franklin Jones is a new podcast from Stitcher. And I'm telling you, I listened to the the first episode uh, and, and I was blown away. Jonathan Hirsch, he's telling the story from his perspective. It's very personal. And I really do have a feeling that fans of Beautiful Anonymous would respond well to this story. It's a cool, gripping show that I listen to. Subscribe to Dear Franklin Jones in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Hello to all my Gowanus cool cats. It's Beautiful Anonymous. One hour, one phone call. No names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you and you'll get to know me. Hello, everybody. It's Chris Gethard, your pal, on the other end of a mysterious phone line, bringing you the show where you get to uh, eavesdrop via audio on someone else who shares details about their personal life. Oftentimes, overshares details of their personal life. Feel very lucky to do this show. Feel very lucky that you're tuning in. Thank you so much for that. A couple uh, tour dates up at chrisgeth.com. I'm at Bloomington, Indiana, and Chicago, Illinois. You can check those out if you're in those towns. I'll see you in a couple months. What else? Last week's episode. A lot of people responded positively to this one. I will uh, tell you, I, I want to go ahead and, and thank the uh, caller again. And, and one of the things a lot of people in the Facebook group were, uh, were thanking the caller for, talking openly about um, fertility issues, infertility issues, the fear that comes along with that. Um, there were a lot of people saying, hey, I dealt with this too. No one really talks openly about it. And it was so nice to hear someone just put it out there. And I think that's very true. And uh and thanks, and caller, if you're if you're listening again to our English friend, our English friend, um, thank you. I think it, it really meant a lot to a lot of people. So thanks for that. You know who didn't love the call was Londoners, people from London. The caller has said London, not not her favorite place to say the least. And I had some fun with that. And I will tell you, first of all, I want to just be clear: love London. London is a fantastic city. It's also one of the. It's probably the only place I've ever been that makes New York look laid back as far as how people <laughs> are rushing around and this high octane, get where you're going life. London is a fascinating place. I couldn't keep up with London. I could not keep up with the city of London, and I live in New York. But London is amazing. It's amazing. I want to be clear on that. And a couple of people, I had said I felt like they, uh, the, the London audiences didn't love my career suicide shows when I did my run out there at the Soho Theater. And a bunch of people in the Facebook group said, hey, I was there. 
I liked it. The crowd I was with seemed like they liked it. And I will say thank you for coming. And and I felt like it was liked, but uh, um, just, you know, interesting cultural difference, a little more nerves and a little more people a little more taken aback maybe than the American audiences. Who cares? Apologies for any Londoners who are offended. I want to come do a beautiful anonymous live in London. Met a lot of the fans out there when I was there. And uh, that's one of the major goals I have for this show. Live London show. I don't know if you want to come along on that one, Jared. You should come along. Big thumbs up right there. Okay, sounds like we're going to London. Okay. Anyway, this week's episode, excited to bring it to you. This was our first live show from our Bell House residency. The Bell House is one of the great venues in Brooklyn. Do a ton of great comedy, great music, podcast tapings. The Bell House is so cool. Huge thanks to the... uh, people who run the Bell House, the staff at the Bell House. They took great care of us for three weeks. And thanks to everybody who came out. There were people who traveled to New York and the New Yorkers stepped up. We had three shows, had a, sold out the first and the third one. Second one came about five tickets away from the sellout. I was, of course, bummed about that because I'm crazy. But we did. We had like 350 to 400 people at every one of the shows. And it felt like such a cool... For, for a community that's all about one-on-one, quiet conversations, empathy, what a cool thing for such a, to have like this show of force that over a month, over a thousand people showed up to just listen to phone calls. Um, big thanks to Dan Soder who opened the show. You guys aren't going to hear that, but uh, anybody who was at the live show can tell you he was hilarious. Good friend of mine. Good show. And uh, the call, I think you're going to like it. The crowd was really into it. And uh, this guy was fascinating. He, uh, how do you go from uh, from from drug dealing to uh, to what this guy went to? It's a stunning turnaround. I think you're gonna like the story. Brace yourself. There's some stuff about uh, some stuff about animals in here that's uh, that's uh, disturbing uh, to say the least. But that being said, outside of that, I think a really fascinating call. Enjoy it. Thank you for calling, beautiful anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Not too bad. How's that crowd tonight? Crowd's really nice. Really nice. Yeah. Sounds like they got that's, your that's back. That's good to hear. I can hear them. Yeah. I like, you know what? You're, I think you're the first live caller to ever take the crowd head on like that. I mean, we got to give them a show, right? They paid, huh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank God. I like your attitude. Not all the live callers have had this attitude, my friend. Usually, though, I have to explain, oh, there's a crowd here, and they're very nice people, and they're going to be submitting questions, and you were just like, fuck yeah, how's that crowd? Let's get them. I like that. Wait a minute. They're submitting questions tonight? What was that? They submitted questions for me to answer, or is that not happening tonight? No, it is. So the way it works is that there's a, a hashtag... And they can use it to send thoughts and questions my way. And, uh, oh, oh, gotcha. Yeah, so I'll check in with that throughout. So it's a very normal call. That's like the only variation is that, uh, is that every now and then you might just hear me say, I'm going to go to Twitter, and that's just uh, people asking questions. And All right, right on. And congrats. There were over 12,000 call attempts tonight, and you're the one who got through. Yeah, I was uh, super duper needy. I've been calling since seven. I got through six times, got hung up on six times, but uh, back again. Look at that. I guess it's meant to be. It's meant to be. be. What did you want to talk about tonight? Uh, Well, first, let me just get settled in. I get starstruck super easily. I ran into Eric Andre on a date one time, and I was speechless for about four hours after that, so 
Give me like 45 seconds to get settled in. Yeah. The amount of times that people call my podcast and talk about other comedians is staggering. Uh, <laughs> the frequency with which this happens is, is getting alarming to me. No, that's awesome. Yeah, Eric's a very nice guy. Yeah, no, he, he really is. Yeah. Um, all right, but tonight I want to talk about, let's do a good old life story episode, uh, how I be- went from dealing drugs to performing brain surgery. Wow, nobody's ever dropped a thesis like that. So you were a drug dealer. I mean, dealer. we, we got we to gotta set the... It's awesome. Sorry? I said you were a drug dealer at one point in your life, now you're a brain surgeon? Well, let's start from the top, right? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I'm just going to settle in. All right. Well, I am from the East Coast, from a good old quiet suburb on the East Coast, and uh, I was a pretty well-adjusted kid for a while, keyword for a while. Uh, then middle school came, and that's a pivotal point in many of our lives. I was bullied mercilessly, and I should say, I don't trust anybody who wasn't bullied in middle school. Like, my girlfriend right now, we're very happily together, but she had a great middle school experience. She was super well-adjusted, didn't get bullied, and I just don't, there's something in me that just can't trust those people fully, so that's, uh, that's a constant battle that we're dealing with. Yeah, because uh, logic there, would dictate came, they were the ones doing the bullying. Oh, not, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So middle school. So yeah, my, uh, my nickname in middle school was the sideburn kid, which seems pretty innocuous, but people found plenty of ways to just make my life as miserable as possible. Kids are so just ingenious with the types of torment that they can come up with. They would write my phone number, or rather my parents' phone number on dollar bills like tons and tons of dollar bills and just write like fuck with this kid and just send them out into circulation. And my parents would get like 50 phone calls a day being like, Hey, you got to screw with this kid. I do love that as an adult, even you chuckle while telling that story though. I heard that little chuckle in there. Oh, it's, it's absurd. I mean, I, again, I give them plenty of credit. They were incredibly creative, but uh, yeah, made for, made for quite the middle school experience. Yeah, sideburn kid. They'll just pick anything. That's, not, that's like a cool thing. I was mocked for not having the ability to grow any hair. Well, I should, I should say they weren't real sideburns. Uh. Uh, I thought that I could trick people into thinking I'd sideburns if I just grew the hair higher up on my head, lower down, and then just kind of carved around my ears, and people would think I had sideburns, kind of like, like Hasidic Jews, but not, not exactly... <laughs> yeah, that didn't uh, didn't quite work, but I still got the nickname, so I guess it kind of half worked. Yes, kind of like Hasidic Jews, but not really. I love that. That's not really now. Love it. Okay, so yeah, so this makes you an outcast. This makes you a loner. You got some anger in your gut. I see where this is going. Yeah, exactly. Got the perfect recipe. So from there on, I was around fourteen, and I'm like, I'm done with this. I don't want to deal with you know, being an outcast, I'm just going to become the sketchiest kid I can become. I'm going to grow my hair out. I'm going to get in, I'm getting into just dirtbag activities. I'm going to become a mall rat. Just like, as like, just adopt the persona that no one would want to screw with. And boy, howdy, did that work. Yeah. And can I ask how old you are? Uh, 27. You're 27. Okay. 
So you're, young, you're 10 years younger than I am, but I can still, as an East Coast, I'm very well acquainted with the East Coast dirt bag. <laughs> and as oh, you yeah. describe it, like the scraggly grown out hair, you probably had like the dirt lip mustache, right? Like not quite a full I mustache. I kind of still do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they never, it never leaves you. The dirt bag is always inside <laughs> you, if not growing on above your lip. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So keep talking us through this. So you're this, you're becoming a bad right. kid. Exactly. And I was, I romanticized the type of lifestyle. I was like, yeah, like I'm a fucking badass now. And I'm sorry for wearing up top in the first five minutes for those uh, families listening and, and your mother, of course. Thank you so much. But anyway, <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, so uh, of course, naturally, when you're adopting that dirtbag persona, you get into doing drugs for yourself. And you realize, I got to take this to the next level. What's the next thing I can do? Well, you got to sell them, of course. Wow. And being, being 15, uh, I had, you know, a few connections, you know, just being in that, that dirtbag realm of people I could uh, reach out to. And, and I finally found a connection of someone who could hook me up with my first, uh, first large quantity of marijuana. And I'm like, I, that's great. I can get in that way. I, I, I know the product myself very well. I know there's plenty of other dirt bags who would like it, so let's do this. So I set up my first pickup um, right across the street from a maximum security prison. <laughs> so you roll down to the prison, pick up a ton of weed. Well, I didn't exactly roll down. Uh, so it was, there was a maximum security prison and then a highway in front of it. And then across the street was a halfway house where people who are, you know, on the way out of prison are hanging out, doing whatever they do. So yeah. the pickup point was under a garbage, garbage can at the halfway house, which in retrospect was the stupidest place I could have picked up a felony amount of marijuana, especially uh, in a state where it was completely illegal at the time. And... That was certainly poor judgment on my part, but I want I wanted to do this. I wanted to get into this lifestyle. Uh, I wanted to do this, so I, I I ran across that highway, went around the back to the garbage can, wonder where this guy left it for me. And as soon as I grab this bag, of course, an armed guard walks around the corner, being like, "Hey, what's going on with you?" And I just completely bolted back over the highway. I mean, I, I was 15 years old, so he, he probably just thought I was just some idiot, which luckily. I was, and that's, uh, uh, he didn't come further after me, so I got my bag, got the hell out of there, didn't end up in that maximum security prison, and uh, I hit the streets. I hit him hard. I have no idea how in 50 minutes you're going to take us from picking up drugs from the halfway house garbage can to brain surgery, but I'm all ears. I'm all ears. Wow. So that's it. So you start with weed. Does it stay with weed or does it build? Uh, it, it does stay with weed. Luckily, there was a high enough demand for it to, for me to stick in there. Um, but yeah, I, I got in my lane very quickly. I got a little crew together. Um, I got, so there's, there's three of us. There's me. I had the connections, a little bit of cash up front. Uh, there was the dude with the sick phone. He had a sidekick. If you remember, there was a phone with like the 180 flip screen. So dope. He was like the, the phone connection guy. And then we had the driver who had this like horrible, like 1995 Honda Civic with like the loosest stick shift. But he was, he was a transportation and we took over this like four town radius, uh, in, well, I'm not going to say the area, but on the East coast. And, uh, we, we ran that high school. We, we ran shit. 
it's like a very sad suburban version of The Wire, huh? And you're 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 uh, uh, you're Avon, you're Avon Barksdale. Yeah, more or less. Um, so yeah, we're we're getting in the groove of it. We're doing our thing, and uh, our our biggest client who, who purchased the most from us was a mother of a student at the high school, yes. and the little deal that. <laughs> The deal that we set up, you know, we were like 16, is that we would provide her with marijuana and she would provide us with alcohol. But the catch was she wanted us to drive her because she didn't have a car herself. Uh, but she had the idea in her head that, well, it would look silly if, you know, three teenagers were driving this middle-aged woman to the liquor store. So she should take the driver's seat. And that was the biggest mistake because... Well, first of all, she's buying drugs from children, so she's probably not the most responsible person. But uh, uh-huh. I lent her my vehicle one time, or rather my mother's vehicle, which was a 1999 Dodge Caravan, so like a nice soccer mom car. She gets in the driver's seat, uh, proceeds to consume a, like a handful of cocaine. Like this was, she provided her own cocaine, but we weren't in that business. She but provides she, her own cocaine. Well, that's always exactly. Good. Yeah. Well, let's consider it at least. So she's getting yes. coked up so while she... driving your mom's Dodge Caravan. Yes. Yes. Driving a soccer mom car takes it on the highway and is going about 115 miles an hour in a soccer mom car, uh, which I didn't know was possible. So uh, kudos to Dodge. But uh, that was the scariest half hour of my life, crossing a state border to where the. Uh, the the taxes were lower so we could get a better deal on our booze. And you think I would have learned my lesson after once that we did this about 12 different times? Wow. All they get booze. Yeah. You know, when you're 16, it's, it's kind of, it becomes one of the most important things, you know, partying. It's, it's so simple, but it's just simply because you can't do it. It, you just want it all that much more. Yeah. Someone did just submit a question that I like. Now, did this kid know that you're, you were just rolling deep with his mom. Did the kid from school, was the kid from school, would you like see him in the hallway and you'd be like, hi, and he'd be like, shut up, like immediately, like you both uh, knew? I, I wish, although it was, it was a young girl and she was totally in on it. She was like, yeah, I know my mom is totally like this, like hang out with my mom, do your thing, like whatever. She was like over it. <laughs> that went from funny to sad awfully fast. Uh, yeah, a little bit. It wasn't the most uh, functional family setup, as you can guess. Yeah, um, I will say, you're like a very good storyteller, and I think all of us have an insanely clear picture of the exact type of town you grew up in. Like, all of us know either oh, yeah. the neighborhood or town near us that was our version of this. You're doing a great, definitely, definitely. great job on that. People on, the, people on the hashtag are trying to guess what state you're from. One person saying, I'm from uh, Maryland. He definitely sounds like this is Maryland. <laughs> Whereas in my head, I'm like, this is Jersey all the way. Interesting. Well, yeah, luckily I have like the most generic accent, so good luck to all you guessing. Wow. You don't have to be cocky about it. Uh, uh, anyway, you mentioned up earlier on that I had 15 minutes. Is this a half hour call tonight or is this a full hour? Full hour. You have 46 minutes left. Okay. All right. Sorry. I know, know what pace to take us at. Okay. Cool. I like that. I like that. Because you're planning. You're like, how aggressive and hard-hitting do I have to be with the bullet points of this dope-ass story? 
I like it. I see how your brain works. You're the ultimate live caller. Thank you so much. Sometimes we get these live calls. Sometimes we get... Yeah, the crowd is appreciating you. I get to just sit in a chair and enjoy this one. Sometimes you get live callers, and I'm like, hi, what do you want to talk about? And they're like, I don't know. And it's that for an hour. You're like strategizing what's the best way to drop the bombs in this story. Okay, so you're rolling around with moms doing cocaine. You're selling weed. How does this build? Yeah. This doesn't sound like a thing that ends well. Um, yeah, you're right. It didn't end that well. I mean, it was going well for a while. I mean, I got a job at Rite Aid to like cover my tracks of where all this cash was coming from. Uh, which you said Rite, Rite Aid. Aid. Did Rite I hear like that a- correctly? Rite Aid. Got her. Rite Aid Pharmacy. I love that. I'm the town's biggest badass. Welcome to Rite <laughs> I yeah. love it. And Rite Aid's, Rite Aid's definitely like the bottom of the pharmacy totem pole. It's like barely better than a 7-Eleven. Like it's down there. <laughs> it but is kind of the 7-Eleven of pharmacies. What did you yeah. do at the Rite Aid? What was your department? Uh, I mean, I sold drugs out of the Rite Aid, but on top no. of that, I was just, you know, you tip. <laughs> so you were was, a de facto uh, I was your typical... Oh Yeah, it, it, exactly. I mean, they sold Percocet in the back, and I sold marijuana up front. <laughs> Love it. All right. Working at the Rite Aid. Got some cover. People don't know what people can assume the big bucks are coming from. No, wait. Hold on, though, because I would imagine if you're, if you're for real that you had, like, a crew of people, it sounds like you were making a decent amount of money. Like, how serious was this? Because we all know, like, there's suburban weed dealers who are, like, nickel bag kids who just want to have their own nickel bag left over. And then there are the people who it's, like, that all of a sudden they've got, like, a couple pounds in their house and it's out of control, which... How far along the spectrum were you? Uh, I don't know. Pro- probably in the middle of there. Cause probably, because the guy who I picked up from uh, after Halfway House Madness, my, my regular guy after that, he was pretty big time. Like, you'd walk into his house. It was like a scene from Breaking Bad. He had safes. Uh, he'd open up a safe. You'd see firearms in there, pounds of weed, cash. There were always, like, five naked women just hanging out in his living room. And I was, like, 16, so I was like, okay. But uh, I was not that big. Right. You're at the right age. You're like, someday, someday. Someday, yeah. I'll, I'll work my way up to, uh, to the naked women in my, my living room. So you're, I mean, this is like you're living the lifestyle, though. You are a young kid who's caught up in this. Yeah, I was like 16, like pulling in like a thousand bucks a week, which is like, I mean, that's big for anybody. But for a 16-year-old, like that was pretty significant. Yeah, yeah. So this is going on. Yeah. And, and this is all through high school. This, yeah, this is just in high school. I was a child. Yeah. And no teachers or principals or cops ever? I mean, nobody ever figured out this was you? Uh, so I'm sure my name must have gotten around. But, I mean, I wasn't the only dirtbag in town. There, there are other, like, small-time dealers. So, like, uh, yeah, police and teachers. I didn't do it at school. It was strictly an after-school extracurricular activity. <laughs> yeah, you put that one on the college resume. Extracurriculars, yeah. <laughs> selling weed, entrepreneur, right aid. Okay. Yep. Yeah, you got it. But anyway, you you mentioned that this couldn't end well, and it didn't. Um, I, I can't remember the order of things that happened, but uh, my driver, um, his parents 
became privy to what was going on and they called one of those uh, kind of like scary straight programs where they come into your house in the middle of the night and kidnap you and put you in the back of a van and send you off to a farm in like upstate Maine or something. Oh, like a boot uh, camp? Yeah, so my, my driver just disappeared one day and I didn't find out until three years later when he got out, or not maybe two years later when he got out. He's like, yeah, I got kidnapped in the middle of the night and like a bag over my head, put into a van, like the whole deal, like scare you straight. And, like uh, one of yeah, those things like, you used to see on like the Sally Jesse Raphael show in the 90s. With some drill instructor yeah, who'd get was, in your uh, face. Holy shit. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, so he disappeared, so that was not a good sign. And then um, my parents' house got broken into uh, while we were away on vacation, and I got robbed of everything. Uh, so at that point, I decided I should probably hang up the old drug dealing gloves. I should probably hang my jersey from the rafters. It's about time gonna retire when you say when you say that they got everything you mean someone came in and stole all your drug supply and your money and all that yeah so they, they didn't touch a single thing of my parents uh that's terrifying they, they just i had a little safe they, they stole my safe they got <laughs> they got everything all my cash they got all, all my drugs they got it when you're a 16 year old drug dealer and you're convincing yourself you're a big shot and then someone breaks into your house and takes all of it that must be a very sobering reality moment it was pretty deflating. It was, yeah, pretty sobering. Yeah, because that means somebody like knows who you are, knows what you're doing, and is like, I'm going to take your shit. Come back at me. Let's see how real you are. That's basically what's happening. Yeah, and I'm not an aggressive person. I hate conflict, which not the best line of work to be in if you can't <laughs> handle a little fight. Uh, so I, I think I, I got out definitely at the right time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so that's cool. Yeah, that was uh, that was two years, and so that was that was drug dealing. And then I w I wasn't like too interested in college. I mean, you've uh, famously said schools for the birds, so uh, I was pretty much in that mindset for for quite a while until one movie changed my life: the 2001 Jake Gyllenhaal drama Donnie Darko. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I don't think I'm the only person in this room who will say that's one of the last movies I expected. Don <laughs> so a movie about a moody teen who can create wormholes in his mind, sometimes sees a rabbit. This is what leads to you somehow yeah. becoming a brain surgeon? Yeah, that's the movie. You got it. <laughs> Give it a pause, because there's so much crackling live energy. You guys probably need to take a breath, cool down for a second. Uh, we got advertisers. Check them out. They uh, got promo codes. You can get cheap stuff, discounts. Use those things. It helps the show when you do. We'll be back with more phone call after this. Being healthier is at the top of everyone's New Year's resolution list, and care of is there to help you feel your best by taking the guesswork out of choosing the right vitamins. That's care slash of. I want everybody to check this thing out. Vitamins can fill the important gaps that your body's missing from your diet or give you an extra boost where you need it. Just take Care-of's fun online quiz and answer some questions about your diet, health goals, and lifestyle choices. Then Care-of uses your answers to create personalized vitamin packs in minutes. Each box 
includes a month's supply of individually wrapped packets for easy grab and go. It's like having a one-on-one nutritionist all without leaving your house. And I will tell you guys, uh, full disclosure, Care of hooked me up with my first month free. They said, Gether, we're going to advertise on your podcast. Check this out. You know what happened? When I started running low, I signed back up. I'm paying for it now. It's a cool service. You, you go on their website, start talking about different things you want to improve. And for me, I got joint problems. I list my joint problems. I list that I got some bone issues with my conditions that I got. List my digestive issues because as anyone listens to this show knows, I have many digestion issues. And it's so cool. They send you this box that's easy. It fits right in the cabinet in my kitchen. Doesn't take up too much space. There's 30 individual packets filled with five or six vitamins each. Every morning, I just grab a packet, take them. I know I'm done for the day. And if I'm running late, running out of the house, I just grab it so I can take it for later. It's so simple. They print my name on each packet. It feels cool and personalized. Motivational quote on each packet. Start your day with care of is a no brainer for 25% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins. Visit takecareof.com. Enter stories at checkout. That's takecareof.com. Offer code stories for 25% off your first month of personalized vitamins. And guys, I signed up personally and uh, it's it's great. It's really great. Check it out. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company that lets you message a licensed therapist from anywhere at any time. It is no secret. I'm a big advocate for uh, taking care of your own mental health and any system that allows that to happen in a, in a comfortable, modern way. I got no problems with that. And I know one of the big barriers of entry feels like you can't fit more into your life. You're busy. Well, with Talkspace, therapy is as easy as sending your therapist a message. Get something off your chest whenever you need to. Talk about everyday challenges at work or at home. Just chat about life. You don't have to commute, okay? No extra commutes. You don't have to leave your office, okay? You're not going to get judged for it. You can do it from your cubicle. All you need is a computer with an internet connection or the Talkspace mobile app. You can improve your mental health. And remember... Therapy isn't about venting your deepest, darkest secrets or digging into childhood memories. It's practical, okay? Everyday strategies for things like stress management help you live a happier life. Having a therapist provides you a designated person for you to talk to who's trained to listen and help you make positive changes. That's what I love about my therapy. It's pragmatic, easy-to-apply advice that really helps remove a lot of weight from my shoulders. And the Talkspace platform has over 2,000 licensed therapists who are experienced in addressing life challenges we all face. To match with a perfect therapist for a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, go to Talkspace.com slash beautiful. Use the code beautiful to get $45 off your first month and show your support for this show. That's beautiful at Talkspace.com slash beautiful. Thanks again all of our advertisers. Now let's get back to the phone call. So a movie about a moody teen who can create wormholes in his mind, sometimes sees a rabbit. This is what leads to you somehow becoming a brain surgeon? Yeah, that's the movie. You got it. (laughs) Okay, okay. Break it down. I watched Donnie Darko like twice. And uh, I thought it was pretty good. Explain to me how it changed your life so much. Sure. So it, it wasn't necessarily the movie itself. Like, yes, it's, it's a great drama. Love, love me some Jake Gyllenhaal. But uh, it was more of the context that I watched it in. So I was, I was kind of just a piece of garbage dirtbag, but I had a good friend of mine. He was probably my best friend at the time uh, who was not a dirtbag. He was set for, like, 
uh, a great college. He was going to be like an astrophysicist. So like he was this really brilliant dude. And I watched this movie with him and, you know, Donnie Darko deals with themes of like time travel in different dimensions. So it, 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 it's a thought provoker. So it got he and I talking about uh, just sort of existential phenomena and through our like hour long kind of stargazy conversation, he's like, Hey, you know, you're actually kind of a smart person. And I was like, huh? And we kept on talking and he's like, you should probably go to college. Like you're naturally smart. If you just kind of directed that, like you could probably be doing some good things. And that simple movie and conversation really resonated with me that, uh, that was like my last year of high school that I was like, I should turn my game around. I should start trying. And that's when I realized if you just like, if you just pay attention in class and then do the work, you get A's. It's that simple. Wow. Wow. Hold on. So many reactions. First of all, sounds like you were still smoking weed, huh? You stopped oh, dealing. Yeah. There was, <laughs> we were, we were, yeah, we were definitely imbibing during that conversation. I mean, it sparked that creativity for sure. Just but, the breakdown uh, was, of that. It, Put on Donnie Darko and your buddy's like, yo, <laughs> pretty smart, man. Like you can see everyone had that conversation in high school. That's amazing. But no, here's something that's making me laugh though. How many times did, like, authority figures sit you down and say, like, you have so much potential? Had that happened at all? Uh, it did. I mean, I was, I was always naturally just one of those people who, who didn't really need to study that hard. And I would do pretty well, like, not trying. So if I just tried a little bit, like, I would, like, I would do great. So uh, people definitely saw potential. You know, my parents knew I was, like, getting into a bunch of trouble. And, like, they were obviously not happy about it. But, uh, you know. They could only do so much. Anything short of sending me to Maine, getting kidnapped in the middle of the night, anything short of that. Wow. And then one viewing of Donnie Darko. That Echo and the Bunnymen yeah. song hits and your whole life turns around. Yeah, man. It's all it took. Wow. That's pretty crazy. It took one person to tell you you might have what it takes. Exactly one person. And then you, it, you stepped up and it happened. Yeah, I mean... And again, when you're 16, 17, like you aren't really listening to anybody over the age of 25 because they're just over the hill. You want nothing to do with them. So if a teacher or a parent yeah. says like, hey, you've got potential, you're like, all right, yeah. got it, dad. But yeah, no, I get peers it. Yeah. Is like, hey, yeah. you're kind of a smart person. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah 25 super old. Yeah. <sighs> well, when you're a teenager. It, no, know. I know. I, th- this is my own insecurities. I'm, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm approaching 40, and I'm looking more and more like it every day. I'm feeling more. Anyway, it's not about me. Continue with your story. Continue with your story. 40's the new 30. 40's the new 30. They They're keep fine. telling me that. They keep telling me that. And then some days I wake yeah. up, and I'm like, oh, my knees. It's probably going to rain today. Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? What am I turning into? I was cool like a year and a half ago. <laughs> what is going on? I hear you, man. Okay, so your senior year, you turn it on. I turned it on, yeah. I got, got my game together and, uh, you know, SATs, did all that stuff, applied to schools, got into kind of a mediocre school, and I was like, okay, that's fine. Like, I can go there and prove that I know what I'm doing and then transfer out, and that's what I did. I went to some kind of middle-of-the-road school and got straight A's for a year. Then I applied to a better school and transferred and went to a better one, and uh, that's where I finished out, and I, I studied neuroscience. Uh, just uh, as you can see, we're getting to the brain surgery aspect. Um, 
studied that, did my, my senior thesis, got that out of the way, did some internships. Um, and then my first job out of college was as a researcher where brain surgery was a big part of the job description. Wow. And I should, I should draw a distinction. So there's, there's medical science and then there's academic science. And in the medical field, if you want to do surgery, you need to go to medical school and do residencies, internships. Uh, you need to be like 10, 12 years into your career before you even think about slicing a person open. In academia, all you need is a can-do attitude, and that's it. All you need is you, a can-do attitude, and then you can cut into a brain? So not a human brain into any animal you want, whether it's a, a non-human primate, a rat, a fish, a bird, a, a housefly. What? Do whatever you want. This is the first time I've ever thought that houseflies have brains. They have brains? I guess they have brains. They have they eyes. They got brains. That's how dumb I am. That's how smart you are. You actually do brain surgery, and I just said the sentence, I guess they have brains. They have eyes. I said that out loud. I said that out loud in front of people who paid money to be here. That's not okay. Well, okay, so you've never, uh, you've never cut open a human brain, but you, it, through your academic pursuits, you're cutting open a lot of animal brains. I mean, I cut open a few post-mortem human brains, but I have cut open over 200 living animal brains. Living animal brains. Wow. And and, and this is for research purposes. So uh, just so I can be clear, this is not – are you eventually going to go to medical school and pursue the medical route, or this is the context in which you are involved in cutting open brains? So I should say I left the sciences forever last year. So this is – in the past, I'm no longer a brain surgeon. Uh-huh. I hope but, you work uh, at the Rite know, Aid I... again. <laughs> I hope you're like, I just missed no. the Rite Aid so much. Yeah, man, I had it so good back then. I'm just chasing that old high. <laughs> so, what is it like? Okay, hold on. I don't even know where. I'm going to go. You know, I'm going to go to the Twitter. I haven't included the Twitter in a while. And as I formulate the questions, because we're in a new phase of the call, clearly. Let's see. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, Sam Hodge wants to know, what skills did you take from drug dealing into your later pursuits? That's a great question. I never thought about the connection. Well. Yeah. Huh. Are there any skills you learned as a young hustler? As a... I learned the metric system from being a drug dealer, and the sciences deal exclusively <laughs> in the metric system. Ah, so that was a pretty answer. easy transference of knowledge. Getting a lot of Donnie Darko opinions. We're getting a Donnie Darko sucks from someone whose name is Baby Elvis on Twitter. We got a, oh, no, 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 no. Okay. That was from someone named Broden. Baby Elvis says, Donnie Darko, great soundtrack. My bad on that. Donnie Darko, this guy is my soulmate. A lot of, oh, someone asking, Samara asking, how many lives would you say you've saved because of a fucked up Jake Gyllenhaal bunny? Uh, I don't know if I've saved any. I've, I've definitely ended a lot of animal lives, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm hoping one day my research can inform uh, what a fucked medical up professionals. Answer. That's a great answer. Yeah, the... 
So I don't Let know how just much... get dark, but we'll get there. Yeah, let's get there because I don't know how much you want to reveal as far as your pursuits because I know these are things that are probably like published and and thing. I don't want you to like blow your anonymity, but what can you tell us about why you've been cutting open brains? Uh, okay, so I mean, I got into neuroscience sort of through the back door of psychology. Like I was really into psychology, having dealt with my uh, myriad of mental health. Uh, phenomena and it's run in my family. So it's always been something close to my heart and I wanted to get involved somehow. And so I was just, just involved in the cognitive aspects for a couple of years, but then the neuroscience door opened itself to me and it was, it was an opportunity. So I was like, Hey, yeah, why not? Let's, let's try this. And I, I kind of got a little pigeonholed into it, but once I started getting experience in it, I get just sort of took it and took it and ran. Um, so that's how I, that's how I got into it. Um, and an interesting tie to sort of back to my, my drug dealing days within the first week on the job, I got a call from the DEA wow. and it's maybe not for the reason you think it had nothing to do with my past. It was because I didn't know there were very specific channels through which you had to order drugs like ketamine and morphine. I thought you could just sort of call the drug company and be like, Hey, I want this much drugs. Send it to this address. Dude, you were a drug dealer and worked in a pharmacy. You should definitely. Yeah, I know. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, so the DA had the DA finally cracked down on you once you got your shit together. So you're trying to order morphine. They're concerned. Okay. What's it? Okay. What's yeah, the so, what's what's the first animal that skull you cut open to look at a brain? Uh, rats primarily, just because they're. Brain morphology is very similar to humans, and it's they're much smaller, and they're just uh, they can have litters within a couple of weeks. So it's the turnover is very quick. So you can see generational differences and uh, et cetera. And they're also very smart animals to do behavioral studies on. So we mostly work with rats. There's also mice and monkeys and birds and all the other stuff that I mentioned, but primarily rats. Primarily rats. I will say, people heard you say rats, and then they're like, you're like mice, birds, and then monkeys got an audible gasp. <laughs> Monkeys was different in everybody's minds. We rank animals based on how cute they are and how much they resemble yeah. us. People did not like hearing monkey. They didn't like that. Uh, so what's that like? What's it like to cut into a... What's that? And it's living. Uh, well, a few things. You need to learn how to distance yourself emotionally from what you're doing. And the way that I did that was I listened to comedy podcasts, which... <laughs> probably not the best thing to do when you're trying to be very steady with your hands, listening to something that could potentially make you laugh. But that's something that I did pretty much every day to get me through my surgeries, pop on the old headphones and listen to some good old Pete Holmes or Tom Segura, or of course, Chris Gethard, uh, just to, just to get some chocolate to get through the procedure. Thank you for including me in the list. That's very nice of you. Thank you. Thank you for referring to beautiful anonymous as a comedy podcast that, Really takes well, some... Well, this is, this is before Beautiful Anonymous, but uh, <laughs> I, I found you through other methods. Don't worry. So appearances on other people's funnier podcasts. <laughs> uh, at the time, perhaps. That's fair. That's fair. So you put in yeah. a good podcast. You're listening to old Petey Pants Holmes. You're cutting open yep. a monkey brain. Yep. And uh, hold and, on. Because I have a cartoon vision in my mind. Are these, these animals yeah. are like sedated? Or are you like poking around in their brains while they're awake? 
Um, so we would do uh, many of our ex- experiments while they're alive and awake, but we would, of course, sedate them heavily, give them analgesics, give them uh, ketamine, give them antibiotics, all, all these different procedures to keep them under uh, while, while we were working on them. Uh, so they weren't, they, they weren't aware of anything that was happening during the procedure. So that's one silver lining, but they were definitely aware when they woke up and they had this giant like metal implant sticking out of their head that wasn't there before. And they're like, what, what the hell dude? So they'd realize, Oh, I'm a cyborg now. And they'd freak out. Uh, yeah, typically. And what was sad is that after the animals get surgery, very often they are neglected from the pack. So we keep them socialized as best we can, but after they become a cyborg, they get shunned from their society and nobody else wants anything to do with them, which is very, very sad. The, the crowd is turning, my friends. The crowd is shifting. Man, not I, didn't, against I didn't invent you. academia. They're not turning on you. They're not turning against you, but they don't like this as much as the yeah. tales of the sidebird kid. They don't like... It's a, <laughs> It's it's a lot to process. It's a lot to process, isn't it? But I'm sure you had those feelings too. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that's ultimately the reason why I got out of it. But um, when I when I was there, it it became just just normal. Uh, you talk about well, every <laughs> every animal needs to leave in a body bag so they can be further examined post mortem, which means they need to be euthanized. And the word we would use for that is sacrifice. But for short, we would say sack. So when you're done with an animal, you're like, all right, we've got to sack them. Go sack number 14 and 15, uh, which is kind of an aggressive word to use for ending someone else's life. Yeah, go, go sack them. But that's yeah. just the industry standard term, and we would sack hundreds of animals. I can feel the vegans of Brooklyn getting progressively more uncomfortable with this. I will say I became some... a vegan after, after that job. You became a vegan. Wow. I did. So... Oh, that we, we'll have to get to that. Before we do, no, because that's really fascinating. Someone put in a question that I really love on the Twitter. Someone else who clearly, I think, works in your field or has studied it. They want to know, what's your fave brain imaging technique? DTI, flare, structural, functional, dish. Uh, so I didn't really use most of those. We mostly did uh, calcium imaging and two-photon imaging. So that, that means a whole lot to you, I'm sure. But it was basically uh, shooting different lasers of different wavelengths into these little optical windows that we put into their brains uh, to see what's going on in there. Other than that, we would use electronic hyperdrives, and we would literally plug like a USB stick into their brain and read them uh, in real time what, what, what they're thinking all about. You would put a USB stick in, and that would be able to record information, and you could then track what they were thinking and how they were reacting to things? Yeah, exactly. So uh, it wasn't exactly a USB stick, but there there'd be a, uh, all these different electrodes that we'd very specifically dial down into different parts of their brain. And depending on the task we were doing, we would know if they were going to get it correct. We knew if they were experiencing something novel for the first time. We knew if they were pissed off. We knew if uh, they were, they were going to get it wrong. We, we, we could tell based on looking at these waveforms, essentially, uh, how the animal was going to behave. So it was cool to like see this impulse, and then the animal would behave that way. Like two seconds later, it was it was really fascinating to see that. Wow, I mean, and is it <laughs> okay? You're so smart. 
and I'm about to ask a question that's so dumb, but just as I mean, an I might idiot, not know the answer, but I'll, I'll try. No, believe me, this is a very dumb question. But as an idiot, I have to. As an, idiot, I have to. Oh, why am I going to ask this? Oh, I'm going to sound so dumb, but I really want to know. Could you? So, like, could you like put a thing in an animal and then remote control it? Uh. I think now is as good a time as any to pause for a couple ads. Got this call, this call is cooking, baby. You're going to want to come back for more. But before you get more, check out these ads. These people support the show. It's how I bring you this show every week. And uh, there's promo codes, so you get discounts too. Use them. Support the show. We'll be right back. RX Bar is a whole food protein bar made with a few simple, clean ingredients, which all serve a purpose. Egg whites for protein, dates to bind, nuts for texture, and I'm telling you, you guys have seen these. They're very cool. They're very interested in full transparency at RX Bar. All of these ingredients, they list them right on the front of the package. No BS. And I love that. I love that you look down you go, okay, I just worked out. I need some protein. Cool. I'll grab this one. It's right there. I know exactly what I'm getting. This is not, I mean, there's no chemical. They tell you everything that's in there. Perfect for a breakfast on the go, snack at the office, throw it in your bag. Maybe when you're done with a bike ride or working out, hiking, whatever you need, it's right there. And beyond being a go-to snack that checks off all the nutritional boxes, RX bars taste good. can tell you that. I uh, Very often when I'm leaving my house, I'm, yeah, I tell you, it takes me a long time to get going in the morning. Sometimes I don't have time to cook a breakfast or sit down for one. I grab an RX bar and I am never... I never regret it, you know? It's a, I eat it quick, tastes good. I can look down at that package, see all the good things that are in my body. Nothing to complain about there. For 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com slash beautiful. Enter the promo code beautiful at checkout. That's rxbar.com slash beautiful. Promo code is beautiful for 25% off your first order. Thanks again to everybody who advertises on this show. Now let's finish off the phone call. So, like, could you, like, put a thing in an animal and then remote control it? Uh, I think in the, in the way you mean, like, an RC car or, like, a, a drone, you mean like that? Yeah, like, then you could have a monkey that could climb a shelf and get a thing for you, with, and you have a remote control. That's what I have in my brain. So, I'm going to say that's probably possible. We didn't do that, but you could theoretically... Uh, implant some electrodes into the motor cortex and send impulses at uh, different frequencies, and you could probably get them to... I mean, you could definitely get, get them to move various limbs. I don't know if you could coordinate it quite to the point of your, your robot pal, but uh, I hope someone's inspired to try that now. No, I don't want to be responsible for the enslaving of other animals. Just so someone doesn't I mean, it'll have probably to... happen to us. They're probably already working on shit like that too, right? Yeah. The government, I'm man. Sure. Black ops, man. Yep. The government is the go- you might know. Is the government doing all kinds of weird shit that we don't know about in fields like this? I mean, definitely. And granted, I was working out of a at the university academic context, and like the shit that happens behind closed doors there is already like grotesque and like obscene. So the fact that it's happening on a university level. Is already bad. I'm sure whatever ha- is happening at like a governmental federal level has to be like mind boggling. Now we can connect some dots. You saying like the stuff you happening behind closed doors was obscene. 
I became a vegan after I left that job. You saw some shit go down, huh? I mean, every day. What's the type of stuff we're talking here? Uh, how sad are we trying to get? As sad as possible. Okay. All right. Um, I, I know how to do my well, job. Okay. Let's, let's do it. In, in addition to brain surgery, I was also in charge of handling the animal colonies from, like, animal health and care and uh, reproducing, mating, all that stuff. Uh, I was also in charge of euthanizing them, and we would have to do that quite often en masse if they didn't test positive for the various genes that we needed them to, to possess. So there would be these, like, mini holocausts, like, on the weekly, where we would have to gas, like, 50 animals at a time. And this is, like, mothers with, with pups, they're weaning, uh, young animals, old animals, where they, we just didn't have a use for them. And by law, we had to send them out in a body bag. We couldn't just take them home with us. So I would have to murder en masse hundreds of animals. Yeah, that's a shitty gig. That's yeah. A, that's a bad gig. And not, just, and not just kill them once. We had to kill them twice to make sure. So every animal had to undergo two forms of euthanasia. And the second form was usually decapitation. Oh, hold on. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? So you would kill the animals in a way with gas, which at the very least, I mean, it's, it's brutal. The room is clearly reacting in a way like you clearly did, which is like this is, this is, this is evil and on some level. It feels like it has elements of that. So at the very least, though, gas is in some way more painless and, and somewhat more humane. But then afterwards, you would have to chop their heads off, and you had to do that? I had to do that. And then I would have to bag them up individually and put them in the freezer. Hold on. What, can you just give us a list of, of some types of animals you have chopped the heads off of? Uh, so it was, like I said, primarily rats. There were uh, mice in there too, and there were ferrets as well. I, I didn't do any of the decapitation on monkeys. I did not have to get through that. Mostly just rodents. Yeah. Let's not pretend as New Yorkers that the image of decapitating thousands of rats bothers us all that much. Let's not pretend. Let's I not mean, pretend. I understand. Although, if you spend some time with them, they're, like, super smart and, like, have personalities and, like, they'll hang out with you. You can feed them Fruit Loops and they'll eat it like a bagel. Like, it's super cute. Like, they're actually pretty cool animals if they're not, like, you know, eating pizza out of dumpsters. Like, they're, they're pretty cool to hang out with. I love that. See, here's why I like you. Here's why I like you. Because you already sensed people were getting kind of like squeamish and emotional. And then you totally humanized a rat by making it eat Fruit Loops <laughs> to make it even more. Yeah. To make it even Wow, okay. They love, they love Fruit Loops. Rats love Fruit Loops. We all learned that yeah. together tonight. And they have opposable thumbs. So like I said, they'll eat it like a donut. Oh, they'll hold it like a little donut and eat a Fruit Loop. And then you gas them yep. and chop their head off. Immediately after. I give them the Fruit Loop to distract them and then hack their shit off. Exactly. Wait, you'd give them Fruit Loops to distract them? No, no, that would be, that would be 
I thought you were saying I misheard you. I thought you were saying you'd like give them a Fruit Loop and they'd be like, "Oh my God, my favorite." Uh, I mean, I was being hyperbolic, but it, it wasn't that that far off. <laughs> okay, so here, okay, so I want to know where you would like to take this because I'm sure we could keep getting gross and graphic about that, or you could tell, uh, yeah, you know, you could tell us there, uh, it was this a. I guess my the main question I want to make sure we cover, whether it's now or later, is was this just an overall burnout, or did you hit an actual breaking point where you were like, done, can't do this. Um, I mean, it, it wasn't, it wasn't any like singular experience where I was like, I killed 2000 animals today. Like that's it. It wasn't, it wasn't anything like that. Uh, it, it was just, it was just like an additive, like every day it would just kind of chip away at you a little bit more. And I tried to have as much integrity with the job as possible, but like some people, didn't really have a soft spot for the animals, so they would really just treat them like, uh, I don't know, it's like like materials. Like they're just a material in this project. Like just they're totally expendable. So like, uh, if people were too lazy to bring them back up to the animal facility, like ah, we'll just we'll just sacrifice them right now. So I don't have to walk three minutes out of my way. If I can go home a little earlier, like people would uh, people do some really gross stuff like that. And academia is kind of a dirty place to work anyway. For the types of like falsification of data and like lies people tell and the ways people treat animals. It's just, it's all kind of gross. Um, so I, I really just had to get out. Yeah, I would imagine. And you dropped the number 2000 in a way where it made, I think me realize and all of us realize that's not that you're not exaggerating. That was like, an, that could, that's not, that wasn't an abnormal amount of animals to die in a day, huh? Um, I mean, that that would be high. I worked in a pretty small lab, and I probably euthanized during my three- or four-year tenure about 1,000 animals. So break that up about 250 a year. Yeah, that's more it's than anybody wants to behead. Yeah, that's still – nobody wants to behead hundreds of animals a year. Wow. No. So you had to get out. Morally, yeah. you had to get out of this situation. Exactly. Um but yeah, I mean, I'm happy to make you guys more sad. I can tell you about weird things I had to do there. Like, uh, I would have to get very close and personal with the female rats, and I'd have to swab individually every single one of their vaginas to see if they're ready for uh, mating. And I didn't think, if you asked me at 16 years old, if I thought if someone told me, hey, you're going to be swabbing rat vaginas when you're 25, I uh, probably wouldn't have believed them. But that became a pretty common part of my, my job description. I wish. I love it. One day, like you're watching Donnie Darko and your friend's like, you know, you have a lot of potential. <laughs> I bet down yeah. the line someday you might swab a rat vagina and then eventually cut its head off. And you'd have been like, wait, that just sounds yeah. like the track I'm already on as a teenage drug dealer. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was brutal. It was weird. It was... Swine. Emotionally draining. It, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was a lot. As you can imagine, a lot of people are sending me a uh, hashtag notes with opinions on this stuff. This made me laugh. This is what the takeaway was for one person out there in the crowd. I personally love rats. I even have this whole life and adventures imagined for the one-eared subway rat I see every morning. <laughs> His name's Bill. That's one person has a personal friendship with a New York street rat. Uh, 
There's some people urging me to make this one happier and more pleasant, to which I would say, eh, that's fine. It's not, I'm not going to force it. It's okay. Um, yeah, there's some people saying things like simply, that's so sad. Or, oh, someone actually asking a question that I think is somewhat facetious, but someone was saying, was there a mouse guillotine? Like, was there, were there devices to make this simpler, or did you have to get in there and, like, by hand? Um. So we, we did have various little gas chambers set up. Uh, so that, yeah, that was uh, made our lives simpler. But as far as decapitation went, we would have to individually, either with a razor blade or with surgical scissors, just get in there and make sure that uh, brutal. Make sure the job was done. Yeah, you yeah. can't do that for too many years. And then, how quickly after you got out of that gig did you go vegan? You went opposite direction. Yeah. So. Uh, probably like six months. Yeah, I would imagine that's quick. I'll say that I'll say something here too that I bet you'd agree with because I've always been, you know, I've always been a little bit of an ignorant guy. I still eat fish. I gave up the rest of the meat, but my wife has been a vegetarian for uh, a very, very long time now. And you know, one thing that's eye opening that I just want to put out there, and this sounds obvious, but I didn't realize how easy it is. It's very, it, it takes you about 10 extra seconds to check if your products have been tested on animals or not. It takes almost no time. And when you go to any pharmacy, like you're picking out shaving cream, you just turn the cans around until you find one that says not tested on animals, and it's not hard. And then you know you're not participating, at least uh, to the degree that you would be otherwise, with stuff like what you're describing. Yeah, I mean, we all have control over what we consume and put on our bodies, put in our bodies, whatever. Um, I mean, I'm in the camp that, like, just do your best. Like, you can't get 100%. It's impossible. So I would hope that you don't let your life become consumed with this obsessive, like, it has to be absolutely 100% pure because I don't think anybody can, like, in good faith claim that. So I just say, you know, do your best. Yeah, and I would also say, too, like, there's something, like, you'll read about cancer research on animals, and it's like, of course, like, if it's going to improve the life of humans, then there's certain things that animals are taking the hit for, and, and we have to, like, honor that. But then there's also things where it's like, hey, you could uh, just go down to the lower shelf and check the other can of hairspray, and maybe you're not participating in something that you've seen up close is pretty brutal. Yeah, so an extra five, ten seconds. That's all it takes. And we got ten minutes left. Where are you at now? Where are you at now? You're vegan. You're out of that uh, world. Yeah, what, what are you up to now? Yeah, I mean, a, a lot happened. I, uh, I left. I traveled the world for a year. I came back. I moved to a new city. I got into advertising, which is totally different and has its own evils, a of course. A much more wholesome and above-board industry. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it is. <laughs> Traveled the world, got into advertising. Sounds like you did a lot of soul searching. Yeah, I mean, that, that, was, that was the goal of it. Although I didn't necessarily come to any specific epiphany when I was overseas. I kind of just came back and I'm like, well, I still have to do something with my life. I like Mad Men a lot. So, like, let's see where this goes. I love that there's still a little 15-year-old pothead inside you. So, I like Mad Men. It, it never uh, leaves you. Do you still smoke weed? Uh, not really. I, I kind of outgrew it in college, like once in a while. Yeah. 
but you're not that kid. I do love that you're. It's still that's so funny to me that when you were 16, you were like Donnie Darko, and now you're like, oh, like Mad Men. (laughs) All your major life decisions have been driven by pop culture. You like? I mean, kind of. So that's cool. I would imagine you must be uh, there. There must be being in advertising must wear you down a lot less than the uh, rat murder gig. Well, it wears me down in different ways. Like when I was doing research, like I could take a two hour lunch if I wanted. I could leave at five. Like I had no supervision. Like clearly I was listening to podcasts and hacking animals in half. Like there's no supervision. But in advertising, you're dealing with like billions and billions of dollars. Uh, and you're working until like midnight every night, so like, it's it wears you down in different ways. It's it can be soulless. It's long hours. It's it's a lot. Yeah, I mean the grass is always greener, right? Do you ever pine for the days of going back to animal holocausts? Uh, I don't miss that part. I mean, I miss like hanging out with them because you have to like handle them to a certain degree to get them used to being with animals. Uh, sorry, used to being with humans. So you would put like a cloth on your lap and like hold them for a while, feed them fruit loops, hang out, get to know them. Uh, so I definitely miss that part. Yeah. I get that. I get that. Yeah. Here's the thing I'll commend you on too. Cause I've often gone on record on these crazy rants about how college sucks and this and that. But I will say you're the exact example of someone where I'm like, you actively made a decision that it would improve your life and you wanted to go for it. And I will say all jokes aside and all weirdness aside and all like the overwhelming specifics of what your gig was aside. I do just want to say that that's really impressive to me. Like Donnie Darko or not. Uh, it's just really <laughs> impressive to me that you were a kid who was spiraling in one direction and then you were like, fuck it, I'm going to take the reins and change it. I think that's really awesome. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. And I'm still changing, making moves, waiting for the next Donnie Darko to hit me so I can pivot, do another 180 and claim that some other weird, obscure movie made me do that. So I like that. Still, so- still always growing and changing. And that's actually a plan of yours. Like You don't really have a long-term plan beyond just get ready to just... Dis- pivot in a totally different direction when it presents itself uh yeah i mean i'm I'm guilty of falling in love with the beginnings of things so yeah i'm pretty susceptible to that especially if something enticing comes along yeah that's the way to do it that's cool i guess that's cool what's uh let's see what we're checking in with some last minute oh someone's saying now that weed's legal in many states you should get back in the game <laughs> I like that. Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. Um, oh, oh, that's simple. What are your favorite vegan snacks? Favorite vegan snacks? Um, I mean, pretty simple, like fruit. I don't know. I didn't eat fruit much before, but like, I don't know. Fruit's pretty kick-ass. Like biting two kiwi, even leave the skin on if you want to get some extra fiber, like do that up. Um, I, I really like those like super salty, like, Peapod snacks from like Trader Joe's and those places. Like, I'm pretty sure there's like no health benefit to them at all, but they look like little pea pods and they're super salty, and I'm, I'm all about those. I don't know what I expected your answer to be, but I love that it was fruit and super salty pea pods. I like that. I like that. Here's the thing that I think could be an interesting experiment is you were a kid who you got kind of pushed. Uh, to a point where you were a loner. You were one of those people who I think we all knew those kids growing up. Some of us were were those kids where it's like, fuck it, if I'm going to get 
if I'm if people are just gonna fuck with me all the time, I guess I'll just be bad. You went down that road. You took it pretty far. Like even the low level drug dealer kid in high school was still, you know, definitely someone who you start to give up on. I'm sure there were a lot of people giving up on mm-hmm. you. Is there any uh, if there are any current teenage dirtbags listening, <laughs> as someone who went in the opposite direction and took it, you know, uh, you went pretty far in academia, advertising, like. You really turned it around. Do you have any message for any other uh, teenage dirtbags who might be listening right now? Maybe something that the parents of some, some wayward lost teens might be able to relay to their kids. Um, well, first, cut your sideburns. <laughs> then after that, I'd say, I don't know, t- take a good, honest inventory of what you, what you like doing or what you're interested in, like, it's so it's really easy to just let like weed or drugs or alcohol or, or some vice like kind of dictate your life. And I was there and I, I get it, but I don't know. There, I think there's a lot more thing, a lot more interesting things out there than just your vice. Like you don't have to get rid of it totally. Like you can still spend half your time smoking weed, but I don't know. Spend the rest of your time like developing a video game or uh, volunteering or like working like at a, a movie theater. I don't know. Just, just, do something that's interesting to you and fill half, fill half your time, just half your time with something that's not your vice. I love that. I love that any stoner... <laughs> I love that any stoner team listening is like, fuck yeah, he said I could still smoke weed <laughs> half the time. Yeah, you, you can still smoke and do the other thing. You, you can combine them if you want. Just like, do other things. That is very realistic advice that a kid might actually listen to. Just, like, cool it down for, like, a couple hours a day. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Bar's low, man. Like, give it the morning and an hour in the afternoon where you're not high and see what happens. Yeah, that's honestly, like, a couple hours, you can accomplish a whole lot. Couple hours, you can accomplish a whole lot. Any parent who is like, oh, maybe this will be the thing that turns my kid around is like, fuck. <laughs> fuck, weed is still a central problem. Uh, here's a question I have that's popping in my head. You, do you have any idea what happened to that girl whose mom used to do coke <laughs> and buy booze for kids? What happened to that girl? Um, I mean, she's fine. She's married. She lives in the northeast of the United States. She's, she's chilling. She's fine. Chilling. I don't know about her mom. Good answer. I'm sure she's not fine. No, no, that's good. It sounds like in a, a, a world that was rife with potential disaster, everybody wound up pretty unscathed. Pretty unscathed. Oh, this is nice. Someone named Stephanie suggesting that your next career path should be high school guidance counselor. I think that speaks very well to your character. I like that. Huh. I like that. Oh, someone wants to know. I back into my, my psychology roots, yeah. Yeah, your psychology roots. Someone, says, uh, someone wants to know where you traveled when you traveled all over the world, when you took that gap. Yeah, um, I spent most of my time like, hitting every country in Europe. Uh, I also went to India. I was there. I actually went, into, went to India twice. Um, I had some family over there, so I had a place to stay. Uh, went all over India. That's a total culture trip if you're looking for that. Um, but yeah, I went to like you know Hungary and Czech Republic and UK and you know Italy, all those places. You really went for it. You really decided to get yeah. out there and live. That's cool. We got thirty seconds left. Is there any message you'd like to send to Brooklyn, New York, and eventually the world via the podcast? That's a uh, it's a lot of pressure. Um, I mean, I guess we'll just 
close it to say thank you so much for having me on here. And I'm really glad that this platform exists. And I'm such a huge fan of all the art that you create. And it, it really affects a lot of people. And I'm so happy and proud that I could have been a part of it. And uh, maybe sent a message out to some of those dirtbag donors out there. Caller, thank you so much for letting us know about everything. And what a cool thing to hear that, you know, to, to be someone who, you know, when you were young, people were like, that wrong path. And then you turned it around. What a cool thing. Thanks for all the details. Thanks for being fun and kind. And thanks to everybody in Brooklyn who came out, had my back, showed the show of force that is the army that is the beautiful anonymous community. Uh, not an army so much as just hundreds of very, very nice people. And thank you. It was so nice to meet y'all. And thank you to Jared O'Connell and Harry Nelson coming all the way out to the Dallas to organize things. Thank you especially to Justin Linville on this one. Justin uh, works with me on tons of stuff. Don't always uh, get to thank him at the show, but he really was instrumental in this run. A lot of you probably met him there. He's the best. Thank you, Justin. Thanks to Dan Soder for opening. Thanks to Shell Shag for the music. Apple Podcast rate, review, subscribe. I'm out of here. Whatever you're wearing right now, Mac Weldon is better. Get in on it. Men's Essentials brands. Okay, they believe in smart design, premium fabric, simple shopping. I got the underwear. I got the socks. I love them both. Easy to buy. Cool to get. Well made. Look good. My wife says it's a flattering cut. They got the silver underwear and shirts line. Naturally antimicrobial, they're not going to smell. They want you to be comfortable. If you don't like your first pair, keep it. They'll refund you. No questions asked. Go to MacWeldon.com. Get 20% off using the promo code stories. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Next time on Beautiful Anonymous, somebody who's getting married and about to have surgery explores their strange past. And I said, you know, it's a real shame that you didn't do this before because as, you know, a bisexual theater major in college, I'm sure that I would have benefited from an LGBTQ parent and think of all the annual viewings of the birdcage we could have done. You wrote that in the letter? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm a writer, so there's that. <laughs> That's next time on Beautiful Anonymous. Hi, I'm Cameron Esposito, and I am so excited to bring the latest season of my show, Query, to Earwolf. That's right, Earwolf is now Queerwolf. On Query, I've interviewed some of the brightest luminaries in the LGBTQ community. That's what it is. It's like a hour-long chat show, like a WTF, with me and another queer guest. I've had musicians Tegan and Sarah Quinn of the band Tegan and Sarah, actors like Jeffrey Boyer Chapman and Evan Rachel Wood. I've had transparent creator Jill Soloway, activists like Madden Lopez. The season premiere is out now with special guest Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Listen and subscribe to Query Today on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Earwolf.com. This 
This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.